This podcast is produced and managed by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab, Australia's independent video and podcast company. We do the podcasting hard bits so you don't have to. We make podcasts easy. Book a call at www.kangaroofern.com. www.kangaroofern.com. This podcast is produced and managed by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab, Australia's independent video and podcast company. We do the podcasting hard bits so you don't have to. We make podcasts easy. Book a call at www.kangaroofern.com. www.kangaroofern.com. Focus on service. Look, you've got to work out a way to make money out of what you do. And we recommend that people work on at least 60 bucks an hour in the service industry. But you've got, to, you've got to focus on making the people you're happy with raving fans. That's the idea. How can you make your clients delighted in you, whether they're clients or whether they're franchises or whatever? That's the first thing. I'd also say the secret of success, people often think it's a matter of having some brilliant idea. You say, oh, Jim, you know, it was like you, you were suddenly mowing lawns, mowing lawns, mowing lawns, and suddenly you thought, what if I franchise? What a good idea. And suddenly I'm a multimillionaire. It doesn't work that way. It's it's a thousands and thousands of different decisions about what you can do. Now, every day of my working life, from the time I started pushing a lawnmower around till now, I ask myself the question, how can you do it better? The Bootstrap Podcast Show is a production of Kangaroo Fern Media Lab, a grassroots entrepreneur-led movement to bring together, celebrate and give a voice to Australia's entrepreneurship community. On the podcast, we speak with the movers and shakers of Australia's entrepreneurship community to give a glimpse into the future of business. Bootstrap Podcast on OzPod Syndicate. Jim Penman is the founder and the CEO of Jim's Group, one of the iconic Australian brand. He started a part-time gardening business while earning his PhD in history at the university. He established a full-time mowing business in 1982 with a $24 investment. He originally aimed only at taking up subcontractor, but his business grew and his graduate began to specialize in building up and selling up lawn mowing rounds. By 1989, his franchise is business since then, Jim's Mowing have become the largest franchise chain in Australia and the largest and best known loan mowing business around the globe. Now has more than 50 other divisions, which now operate in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and United Kingdom. Jim's, grow, Jim's group now has over 3,800 franchisee and turnover of approximately around 500 million. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We love having you here and it's our mission to bring you all the latest and greatest tips, skills, and know-how to make you the best that you can be. We know that you have it in you and we're going to show you how. Now, now, let's get started. Please welcome Jim Henman. Thank you. Please welcome to the Bootstrap podcast under Osborne Syndicate, Jim. Okay, it's fine. We actually, we've got more than 4,300 since that was done, so we're, we're still growing. Still growing. That's fantastic. 
So the first question they usually asked, Jim, where is the beard and hat? Well, <laughs> you know, it's indoors now and the lights aren't that strong, so I don't really need a hat. Um, I used to wear those bucket hats when I was mowing lawns because they don't get knocked off when you go under branches and things. Uh, beard, well, actually what happened was uh, 21 years ago, I found myself single and my beard was going gray. And I figured if I'm going to get married, I don't need to look any older than I am. So that, that's why it came off. And I, and I got married the following year, just just up to our 20-year anniversary. So uh, no reason to grow it again. <laughs> All right. So if we, if we do fast forward now, the Jim's Group is the largest franchise in Australia by number. And yep. Jim's Mowing is not, the iconic. Not by value. Not by value. I can assure you. The McDonald's are worth an awful lot more. Anyway. <laughs> A number. <laughs> All right. So Jim's Moving is an iconic brand, and I was really excited how easy to communicate with you, and you got over 50 different services. So, so everyone is everyone who's watching right now and also listening, particularly people in the startup or in the bootstrap or starting starting get a, a new business. How did you start it from loan mowing, and what happened next? Well, it was cleaning, but that was more or less accidental because because we sort of thought that we'd, we'd extend it beyond mowing because we had the sort of the contracts and systems and stuff. So we thought that the, the mowing, this um, mowing image, was, was a, that's a guy with a beard and a hat. It's a gardening image. So we didn't think it would work. So we actually tried cleaning with a, a um, logo called Sunlight, S-U-N-L-I-T, with these sprays and stuff. So we thought that was a nice, clean logo. And uh, so we sold a couple of franchises, didn't work very well, couldn't find the work for them, and so uh, we gave it away. And then later somebody came to me and said, we'd like to do gyms cleaning. And I said, no, you don't, because that's a, that's a, a, a gardening image. And they said, we think they'll work better under your brand. So I said, okay, well, if you want to have a go at it, do so. So they didn't, and it worked. That was really how it started. And then we find that we can apply it to anything, which is a bit like, you know, Virgin, which was originally a record shop store and is now, you know, airlines and colas and everything else. Is it the first time you you established this business, is that you're already thinking on franchising the business or you... No, not at all, not at all. Because I never thought... When I, when I, I used to mow lawns in the 70s as a student job. It was just a way of getting outside and it was pretty good money because I could get five bucks for mowing a lawn, which took me half an hour. That was good money in the in the mid 70s. Um, and it was, you know, exercise and so forth. So that was that was good. Um, I was intended to be an academic. It's only when my academic career collapsed and I, I knew I had no chance of getting a job in, in, in a university that uh, I, it's the only thing I knew how to do. And even then, it was just something that was to keep going until I found my real career. It, it just it took me quite a long while to work out this was really quite a good idea. So if anyone watching this now, they have a bright idea and have a unique, has a service-based uh, business and looking to franchise, what, what to put, uh, want to put in the market? So they want to license their brand just like what you did before, and turn into a franchise. What is your recommendation to them? Well, first of all, to franchise a business, you've got to have a successful business. People often think you franchise an idea. You don't franchise an idea. Everybody has brilliant ideas, including me, most of which are pretty crappy, as it turns out. 
you have to actually have a business that works. You have to know how to market it. You have to know what to charge. You have to know what kind of services to give, what kind of equipment to use. You just have to understand the business from the inside and out. So when I, when I franchised mowing, I knew that business. Well, I've been mowing lawns for 15 years. So I knew that really well. I knew what sort of equipment. I knew everything about it. Um, so that's what you need. And if you've got a great business and you want to franchise it, well, then, then you've got to you got to change your viewpoint because one of the things about franchising is people don't realize is your major clients actually then are not so much even the clients themselves, but are your franchisees. And, and the, the whole concept behind gyms, gyms mowing as it was in the beginning, is that you, you want a system that everybody should really, really want to be part of. Though I used to say at the beginning, it has to be so good, you'd have to be mad not to join it. So I compare with what was available already from my major rival who had 250 franchises when I started. And I said, okay, how can I do something that would, that would make it so much more attractive? So I put a lot of extra protections and benefits in. For example, we have a, we have a system, people didn't like the fact that in that system, they could take lead clients off you. So if somebody, if you had some regular clients, a new franchise started in one area, they used to take your clients and give them to the new guy. And franchisees didn't like that. So we actually said, no, in our contract, you can't do it. And people, a lot of upset about people getting to 10 years and then being told they can't renew. So we give our franchisees automatic right of, re, of renewal. Um, and there's a whole lot of protections we put into the contract. And then with time, we put even more in. We allow our franchisees to change to a different franchisor or vote out their franchisor or veto changes to their own manual. So you keep on looking at it from the point of view of, the first priority for us is our franchisees. Now we're passionate about customers and I personally spend you know, several hours a day looking at customer issues, but franchisees are number one. So if someone wanted to have a franchise and gyms group, is that hard to get? Are you are very picky on getting a, a franchisee or just easy? Um, we have a very strong emphasis on selection. Um, we had a franchisor last year who put on a franchise who intended to that um, when I looked into the issue was completely unsuitable and I not only stopped it happening, um, but, but actually when that guy came to renew, we said, you need to sell your business because there was other reasons too, but it was grossly unethical for him to do it. And in fact, the guy, this young, young bloke actually, his mother was buying him a franchise. This is what I discovered because she approached me about something. His mother was buying the franchise for him and she was buying it for him because he couldn't find a job. He couldn't hold a job. And I said, that's terrible. That's, that's, that's guaranteed failure. And she was quite upset. And I said, listen, how about I find you, you, your son some, some work? So I actually put him out to work with a couple of our local franchisees in his area. And he was terrible, failed completely. So this poor woman would have blown all her money. So there are some people who should just not be franchisees. And very, when I train franchisors, the first session I talk for an hour and a half is about why it's so crucial to choose franchisees. Now, having said that, most people who apply for a franchise with the right training, with the right support, with giving them extra work when they need it, with all the different things we can do, most people can be successful. So you really got to look out for the minority who just haven't got what it takes. So if you could say one thing to somebody who's never been an entrepreneur and thinking about making a leap of faith and becoming into an entrepreneur, what could you tell them? This podcast is brought to you by Ospad Syndicate, powered by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab. 
Kangaroo Fern is Australia's independent video and podcast management agency with a mission to help individuals and entrepreneurs to start their own podcast and harness the power of podcasting. Book now via www.kangaroofern.com. Well, I tell them, first of all, the service industry is a fantastic place to be because it requires very little capital and it's wide open. The demand for services is phenomenal. We knock back hundreds of thousands of leads a year because we can't cope with them, even though we're growing. And our people are just too flat out, even through the winter when it's quiet, the moment people are busy fencing about 60% of leads unserviced. So I would say that people often have this idea that the future and the business is all about high tech and sitting in front of a computer. In actual fact, the best opportunities are really in the most basic prosaic businesses like mowing lawns, like cleaning, like building fences, like pest control, all those kind of things. That there's so many opportunities in the services area. People ignore that. There's a wonderful book called The Millionaire Next Door, which is about American millionaires. And if I ask you or anybody who you think the typical American millionaire is, people would most likely say, well, there's some tech guru or somebody who's, you know, very clever and lawyer or something like that. What's a typical American millionaire? Well, actually, they're not. They're actually people more like me and my French and my most successful franchisees. They're people who've gone into the service industry and been very successful. And they typically have very, like I do, very simple taste. Don't don't live in a luxurious manner. Because, you know, this is my normal, I don't, I don't even think I own a business suit, for example. I drive a 12-year-old car. That's very typical of such people. So, so Nick, I, would but... look at, I would look at areas that are open, and that's particularly the service industry I would recommend. But basically go into any business. And, you know, if, if your passion is pizzas, well, you might try that. That's a very competitive area. But just, just go in into business and do it in really, really, really well. Build a really great business. Look after your clients. Look after your staff. And when you're franchising, look after your franchisees. Just be focused on service and not on money first. That's a big mistake people make. They, they look for the money first. You look for the service first. My next question is, it's about the services and also about the people. So what is your three best uh, tips to be a successful business? based on your experience? Focus on service. Look, you've got to work out a way to make money out of what you do. And we recommend that people work on at least 60 bucks an hour in the service industry. But you've got to, you've got to focus on making the people you're happy with raving fans. That's the idea. How can you make your clients delighted in you, whether they're clients or whether they're franchises or whatever? That's the first thing. I'd also say... The secret of success, people often think it's a matter of having some brilliant idea. You say, oh, Jim, you know, it was like you, you were suddenly mowing lawns, mowing lawns, mowing lawns, and suddenly you thought, what if I franchise? What a good idea. And suddenly I'm a multimillionaire. It, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's a thousands and thousands of different decisions about what you can do. Now, every day of my working life, from the time I started pushing a lawnmower around till now, I asked myself the question, how can you do it better? And even today, I, I was having a discussion with a staff member and we decided to make a change of policy that, that was, you know, minor. There was an issue that arose because clients were reacting in a certain way. So we said, okay, we'll do it this way. So we changed something and tomorrow I'll do it again. So every day we say, what can I improve on? How can we do it better? That, that's the biggest thing. The people, people are, they sort of think, one of the mistakes people make is they think they're better than they are. I mean, nobody is as good as they should be. Our service is incredibly better than it used to be. You know, our 
complaint rate pre-franchise for every 100 leads, we get about, um, we used to get about 100 complaints. That was before I franchised, when I had subcontractors. You know, after a few years, it went down to 100 leads, five complaints. Some years ago, it was down like that, two complaints. Now it's just under one complaint. It's gone down and down. Now, I am not satisfied with that. I reckon we can cut that at least in half over the next 12, 12 months with some new technology we're doing. So every, no matter how well you're doing, you always want to do better. The, the characteristic of people who fail, they tend to be arrogant. They tend to say, oh, well, I do it well. And then if you look at what they're doing and say, oh, no, you could do this. But, oh, no, 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 you're wrong. It, it's, it's, not my, it's not my mistake. It's, it's the client's at fault. Your system's at fault. You're at fault. They don't look at themselves. So a good operator will always look at themselves, what they're doing and say, how can I do it better? And that attitude is, I know it's a funny word to use in business. A lot of it's got to do with humility. You've got to be able to say, hi, I made a mistake. I, I make mistakes all the time. I make more mistakes, I reckon, than most people have in their, every year in my <laughs> making their entire lives. But I'm always saying, yes, that was wrong. That was a mistake. I'll do, I'll do it different. I listen, you know, every single franchisee in Jim's group has my phone number and my direct email address, everyone. And even today, I would have individually had contact with, you know, 15, 20 different franchisees or franchisors on one issue or another. And, and I listen to clients too. I've had, I've had several discussions with clients about customer service issues because I, I, I deal with that. So I'm always in touch with what's going on. I go in and talk to my staff and say, what's happening? You know, you clients, what are, what are people saying? What, what, how are you getting a bad reaction to this? Just, just talk to people all the time and, and more information. How can I do it better? How can I do it better? That is the, those are the two major things that I would say. And then within that context, obviously you've got to look to um, make decent money, but, but ne never, never a top priority. In relation with the people starting up their own business, why do you think, why do you small business fail? Some of them fail on on the first year of their business? Look, first of all, to be very fair, it's not easy to start a business from scratch when you don't know what you're doing, you don't have experience, you don't have much capital. Just, just to give you a picture, now, there are, there are figures on the failure of business. When people talk about failure small business, the trouble is they include things like retail, which are entirely different. But when it comes to service businesses like cleaning and gardening, the estimated failure rate in the first year is between 90 and 95%. Now, you can look this up on the internet. There's an American association, it's called the Cleaning Janitorial Services Association of America, which has got the figure on their website of 95% failure, okay? Now, our failure rate in our first year, based on the last, um, in recent times, is around 12%. So it's not zero. We still, about 12% of people who fail, with, who sign with us, will not be there at the end of 12 months. And that, they haven't always failed. Sometimes they've gone independent or they've been offered a better job and stuff. But that gives you some indication of the level. So it's not zero. But the difference is what we provide for them is so much more. First of all, we provide them with leads. So we, and we also provide them with training. I mean, we used to lose 17% of our franchisees in the first year. As soon as we put proper training in place, which is a, say for mowing a six day course, we actually dropped that down to where it is now, probably even a bit lower sometimes in the past. So we provide training, we provide ongoing support. Our franchisors ring regularly. We have meetings every six weeks or so. There's a very structure. We have somebody they can talk to. And if that person is developed, somebody else they can talk to, including myself. So there's a whole series of things. Then we've got um, manuals. We've got all kinds of, on 
you know, resources they can use. There's other franchisees they can turn to and ask advice from. There's trainers and so forth. There's a, there's a whole structure of ways of putting things together. So we, what, I, what I generally say is there's some people who probably could start a business from scratch and be successful. And we call those silver and gold franchisees because in our system they do very well and they often end up employing people or becoming franchisors. Um, most people probably wouldn't succeed without our help. Now, once we've got them going, one of the problems we have is that people do actually tend to go independent after a while. Some people do, um, which, is, which is allowed. It's part of our system. They just pay a few grand and they can go independent. But all the same, it is, it is, it is a challenge, no matter how good you are, to start from scratch, especially full-time. The advantage I had is that I started part-time and I, and I wasn't dependent on it. So I started off... Um, my actual business started in 1970 when I did some gardening and I was charging $1.50 an hour. And then I did that for a while and then I bought a car and I wanted to pay for it. So I thought I might as well get a lawnmower because I could make more money. I could charge five bucks for, you know, half hour job, which is good money in those days. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. And um, so, but, but I didn't, I wasn't dependent. I was a student. So I didn't need to make a living. I could just gradually build up and learn from my mistakes and learn how to use equipment better and just, just gradually do it. So that's a good way to start. Do you, do you think, uh, Jim, because of some of the failure of the um, some business owner entrepreneur because of the shiny object syndrome, is that going to be part of it? I, ideas are cheap. Ideas are incredibly obvious and simple. It's not so much the idea, it's the way you do it. Like, for example, you take something like search, internet search. Now, um, the Google boys weren't the first people to think about the idea of internet search. It was already a massive business when they came along. They just did it better. And, and the same thing with, um, with computers. Apple wasn't the first people to think about putting computers together. They just did it better than anybody else at, the, at that time. And the same thing with, with Amazon. I mean, the idea of selling books online, that wasn't original to Jeff Bezos. It, it, it was, it was, he just did it better. So people overestimate the value the brilliant ideas what what really matters is 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 looking at what you're doing and just working out better and better ways to do it how do you how do you make a business work better and there's so many aspects to a business even a business like a lawn mowing business you, you, you think that's pretty simple but it's actually not that simple at all so you've got to look at things like okay what are you going to charge what sort of equipment do you use what's the best mower to use what sort of trailer do you need um, how do you find the work? What's the most cost-effective way to find work? And by the way, that changes all the time. What we do now is totally different to what we did even 10 years ago. And then you go and look at things like, you know, uniforms and what sort of uniform you wear, what sort of clothes you wear, what sort of protections you have. And then you've got safety gear like goggles and glasses and stuff. And then you've got to know how to approach your client. And what do you, how do you, how do you raise your prices to a client when inflation goes up? And how do you know what to charge and what's a reasonable acceptance rate? And, and, and how quickly do you need to get back to a client to do them? And, and there's, there's, that's just a mowing business. There are hordes and hordes of ideas. You could probably put, you know, I could probably spend, I could probably do pages and pages and pages on the basics of doing something like running a mowing business. 
And of course, when you go beyond that, when you've when you've got employees and you, how do you choose employees and stuff and how do you supervise them, which I never cope with. When I, before I was a franchise, my employment system was terrible. Some of my franchises do it much better. And you see, I mowed lawns 15 years. And when I started franchising, we started having meetings. There were these guys who just started off mowing lawns. And we used to have meetings originally in my, in my lounge room. And they had all these ideas that I'd never thought of. I actually, even though I was really too busy, I thought I really wanted to get out there and start mowing lawns again, just because I realized how many stupid things I'd done wrong. I'm going to stick Sunday. You know, back in when I first started full-time in 1982, I'd been doing as a student for you know, seven years or so. Um, I remember being very proud of the fact that all my clients were accepting my prices. And, and I, even people used to give me tips like 20 bucks. I thought, this is great. I'm fantastic. And I was making $550, you know, $600 per week. Now, looking at it back, I realized I was being dumb. I was undercharging. In fact, the acceptance rate was too high. Something like 75% is much more agreeable. So I could have actually increased my income by an extra, say, 15, 20% without just by knowing something as simple as that, which is what we tell our franchisees now. So I actually counsel franchisees. I say, you're too cheap. You're not getting enough knockbacks. I had one franchisee who was, um, he was converting 95% of his leads. And I said, you know, this is, he actually, because I was just talking about 75%. So this guy knew, he said, I bet if Jim ever hears me doing this, then I'll, then I'll be in trouble. So he raised all his prices and he, and, he, and he still got it back down to the high 80s. And so he thought, this is no good. So a few months after, he raised all his prices significantly again, never got down to 75%, but made a lot of money. So simple things like that. What do you charge? You've, you've got to, yeah, you just got, there's so much to learn. There's so much to know. And, and one of the things we say, people, when a person buys a franchise, what they usually tend to buy is the, the lead stream. When we're on, in all due modesty, we're pretty good at finding work. And we have this thing called pay for work guarantee where you can get paid for offering freebies if you don't make enough. But actual fact, the biggest advantage really ongoing is the advice. It's learning from really good people. You know, like, for example, you talk about upselling. That's a big, big clue to being successful. And I didn't realize this when I was out there. That's how you make your money. So, for example, if I go in and mow your lawns, I'm going to charge you, say, 60 bucks to do a job. It takes me 35 minutes. Now, if I can then clear your gutters, I can charge 120 bucks for a job that takes me three quarters of an hour, which is, if you count the traveling, is very similar. So instead of making 60 bucks, I'm making 120 bucks in the same time. Can you, can you see how that, which is really something more like $150 per hour. Can you see how much more attractive that is? So it's kind of learning things of that nature and, and, and how to do it successfully. And our top franchisees, you know, they make several hundred dollars per hour mowing lawns and doing things of that nature. And then how do you approach somebody? You know, if you're mowing somebody's lawn, how do you approach somebody? Now, if you, for example, you can go to somebody and say, hey, how about if I clear your gutters? But then if you say that, you could be knocked back and you can be seen as pushed. So what we say to them is this. Do you say to them something like this? Hey, look, um, how does your lawn look? You know, are you happy with that? And you know it is because it's magnificent because I did it because it was great. And you say, look, if there's anything else you ever want done, like you want your gutters cleared or rubbish removed or gardens weird, happy to help, Okay. Now, the difference between those two is if you say it the second way, there's no risk of rejection, which we're all afraid of, and there's no risk the client will feel pressured. So we actually teach our people to use these kinds of phrases. 
But how do you get them? Well, first of all, you've got to amaze the client. Secondly, you've got to ask. But again, you don't want to ask them directly. You want, don't want to be saying, hey, can you tell me? Because that puts pressure on them. And they can say, no, they can feel pressured. You might feel rejected. It's hard to do. So you don't do that. You say, look, um, Bill, it's been, it's, it's been great doing business with you. Here's my business card. And here's a couple of extra cards in case you know anybody who wants work done. Okay. Now, that's not asking a direct question. That's just giving them an extra card. But you're not asking them a question. They can't reject you. They can't feel pressured. Most likely they'll smile, nod, put the, the cards in their pocket. But if they know anybody, they know that you're after work and it brought that, hey, Bill might need the service too, no matter what it is. Now, these particular, I'll give you an example of those two things. These are things I didn't think up. These are things that my franchisees come up with. And we teach our franchisees how to do them. So little simple ways of dealing with clients. What do you do when a client's unhappy? How do you deal with them? How do you make them happy? That's in the end. What do you need to do? And, and with our system, it's pretty simple. Whatever, whatever it, we have a complaint system. The only way to get rid of a complaint is to get evidence that you've made the client. Now, that might mean you refund. It might mean you give them a total, go back and fix what was wrong. You might go give a totally free service. doesn't matter what it is, something. Do something for them. Make them happy. That's it. Thank you, Jim. That's a, a good explanation. So I, I watched one of your YouTube channel in a day as a CEO on Jim's group. So it's been it's been a quite hectic from the morning up to uh, liaising with your staff. So what drives you to do this? And do you have any challenges of getting a burnout because of this? It's been a hectic schedule every day. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a matter of temperament partly. But the thing of it is, first of all, I have a sense of mission because there are more than 4,000 families that depend on me. And I take this very seriously. I find by far the most painful thing is seeing a franchisee fail. And they do fail. It really is very, very upsetting to see a franchisee fail. It's the worst thing that happens. And the best thing that I enjoy most is a franchisee telling me they're doing well. After one month, I write them an email and, and they come back to the most of them and just tell me how they're going. That's great. That's like the high point of my day when I get one of those, which I do probably most days. I have a sense of purpose in what I do. And the other thing too is I'm very driven because the whole aim of my business is to fund a research program that I'm running through La Trobe University, which we're spending multiple millions a year. And we're looking for the root causes of mental illness and things like drug addiction and so forth, which comes out of my PhD work. So I always have a sense of purpose in what I do. So that is, and, and, and I love what I do too. It's really, really, really fun in a way I cannot begin to describe. It's, business is like the most exciting, challenging, rewarding computer game in the whole world. It's just fun. And you've got to love what you do. When people come to me to say, what business do I go into? What divisions do I go into? I say, which is the most best earnings? I say, it's the wrong question. What do you love doing? Do you love dogs? Dog wash. Do you love cars? car wash do you love being outside mowing do you love just making things tidy and neat and clean well cleaning maybe you know so look to you love doing books well bookkeeping so so find out what you do do what you love and you'll tend to make the most money and be most successful at that i also think too and this is really important um you've got to look after your mental psychological health we are Independent Podcast Network. We are Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate. Would you like to hear your brand while supporting quality podcasts? Contact us now at advertise at guerrillapodcastsyndicate.com. Now, doing something that you enjoy and you love is very important, but other things are very, very important too, like fitness. 
that's one of the most, now if you're mowing lawns, you've got much of a problem, but most people don't do that these days. I have a, I have a rule where I get at least a half hour of vigorous exercise every day. And at the weekend, usually I spend four or five hours a day doing hard physical work. I'm, I'm working on my farm. So physically fit, obviously a good diet is important. You've really got to try and live in a way that, that you know, it's good for your health. And things like a good family relationships, good personal relationships, good marriage, relationships with your kids, with your friends, with your co-workers, people like that. Good social environment, connections. With me, church is very important too. So it could be a sporting club or whatever. So look after your psychological health, your physical health, and that all helps to do motivation. I never get burned out, not in the slightest. I'm like a, people say I'm like a force of nature. I just keep on driving. I, I, I can't, my hardest thing is I, I'd stop. I really should try not to, used to try not to work on the Sabbath, but I just can't do it. I just cannot do it. I can't stop. And even late at night, I can, if I wake up in the night, I'll go and do emails, but I just, <laughs> it's me. But it's fun. It's not hard to do because it, when it's fun. So you're saying you have to have passion on your business to do it, to drive it. Yeah, but, but the passion comes out of doing something that's meaningful. If you just care about making money, well, that's, I suppose, it's a kind of thing, like I want to become rich so I can, I can buy an expensive sports car so I can impress girls. Well, that's a kind of a, but it's not really a, it's not really a recipe for happiness. There's all sorts of, of studies. I'm very interested in the science. I actually read probably on average at least a couple of books a week, read or listen to. I, I love and, and mostly... Uh, all kinds of different things. So, so you know, social history, politics, econ- a lot of economics, that kind of stuff. Um, and there's a lot of work done on, on what makes people happy. And, and people think that having lots of money makes you happy. It's actually a very loose relationship after you're making about 75 grand a year. What matters is, is what you do with your money. Like, for example, the worst way to spend money is, is status goods, like the more expensive house or car or something. That, that doesn't tend to do very well at all somewhat better as experiences, but the absolute best way, this is, I'm not, I'm talking scientific research. This is, this is studies that are done. The absolute number one best way to use money to make you happy is to give it away to a cause that you are personally involved in the way I am with my research project, for example, but it could be anything. That's, that's, that's what, that's what the research tells us. So it's kind of, Yes, you've got to be passionate, but, but passion comes out of doing something that's worthwhile. I couldn't do a business that I didn't see value in. I didn't see I was doing some good. I couldn't be in a business that was just speculative, like buying and selling Bitcoin and stuff. To me, that's got no value to society or anybody. It's just garbage. I have to do something that I feel is helping people. And, and you know, it, it's probably hurting my competitors, let's say, but certainly the people I did it with is my own tribe, the Jimmy's tribe, my own people. So I, I feel a strong sense of loyalty towards them. So is this your ultimate aim to help others? My ultimate aim is my research project. Um, we're looking at the epigenetics, a way of changing character in a way to help people to overcome. We're looking at things like, one of the things we're doing is, is we're um, subjecting rats to different forms of food restriction, which hasn't, which is known to be very beneficial in many ways to humans. There's different forms, there's, there's, there's moderate and there's, there's on and off. Um, and then looking at the actual changes in their bodies, what's happening to their cytokines, to their um, epigenetics, to, to their uh, microbes, to proteins, to a whole lot of different things. So we're looking at, at, at the effects and then looking at ways to actually um, duplicate that. 
including trying different old pheromones too, and we're trying different kinds of, of repurposing existing drugs. So the whole lot of different ways of doing that. So that's my ultimate purpose. It's the science that actually could change the human race. I mean, that's, it's a huge goal, but that's what I'm after. So Jim's group is almost more than 500 million, um, the, the business itself. So can wealth and success be harmful? Yes, most definitely they can. Uh, and and um, there, are, there are many lives, stories of life being destroyed by wealth. One of my close friends had a brother who was immensely wealthy. I mean, he's probably worth more than me. Um, property wealth and stuff and he committed suicide a couple of years back just just wrecked up messed up family relationships see so for example i mean a man who's got so much money it can go to his head he starts to become very proud and he says you know i don't have to be faithful to my wife i can have all these girls beautiful young girls throwing themselves at me and and so he starts snipping around there it wrecks his marriage and his family and 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 then he says oh well, i can afford to take cocaine or whatever so you can take drugs and things like that as soon as you get into the attitude of saying i'm going to do what's what's best for me um that's to be incredibly destructive and 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 very dangerous to, to health and, and happiness so There's so many stories of people whose lives have been wrecked by excess money. Now, admittedly, to a large extent, the second generation, one thing I'm determined, I'm not going to give much to my children. It'll help with housing and stuff, but they can make their own way. And they, they're doing fine. Um, they, don't, they don't need to lean on their father. There's no such things as trust funds in our family. So it can be very dangerous. Wealth can be an enormously powerful thing. And you look at the way, and the person I admire most in the world is Bill Gates. And, and, and to, to a limited extent because of the business that he built, but far more because of what he's doing with the money. And this guy retired long ago from business. And, and, and Microsoft is worth nearly $2 trillion now, so it's done very well. But now he's fully focused on the Gates Foundation, just working out. I enormously admire that guy. He's, he's way above my level. But, but that's, the, that's the perfect idea of an entrepreneur, somebody who makes immense money and then says, how can I use it to better lives? And his foundation would have saved millions of lives. How, how, would you, how do you assess the value of somebody's life when they've done a thing like that? You're saving kids, especially from communicable diseases and stuff like that. He's an extraordinary man. That's, but then so wealth can do incredible good. But, you know, Gates is, he's a good attitude. I mean, he lives in a pretty nice house, a bit more than what I would. But, for example, he makes the point of, of, of um, I, think, I think they do the washing up together. He also drives his kids to school. I mean, things of that nature. He's, he lives in some ways a very ordinary life, and he's not allowed the wealth to go to his head. But there's other people who just do, they just become so self-indulgent, and it's so destructive. Yes. So wealth is going to be used. Good. In my view, as a, as a Christian, God gives us wealth as a trust. And Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than the camels to go through an eye of a needle. And that's a, there's a lot of truth in that because wealth can be very, very destructive. How do we fix it? <laughs> How we... <laughs> so you said wealth can wealth and successes can be harmful. What, what do you think is the other option to fix this problem? Because some people, if you get... Well, it's up to the individual, isn't it? But people should have a moral purpose. I don't think amassing wealth for its own sake is of any great value. 
I, I personally, I mean, people would say I'm outright stingy, but I am in a sense. I just don't like it. I'm always switching off lights in the home. And when I go to Coles, I always want to go and buy the, the, the cheap washing detergent because I reckon it's better value. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm notorious for that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, when we go out to, to eat, our family goes out to local pizza restaurant for 60 bucks. That's, that's our night out kind of thing. We're not, I just don't think wealth is meant to be used for personal indulgence. Now, I have certain luxuries. Like one of the things that's great about being rich is I can buy any book I want. I love that. It's a, it's a great feeling of liberation to be able to buy any book that I want. Um, my children never have to suffer from anything, lack of education or, or anything they really need or health or dentistry or anything. I mean, it's not even a remote consideration. So there's really good ways to spend money even on yourself. But beyond a certain stage, beyond... You know, when you get much beyond the average Australian income, there isn't a value to it. And I think if people realised how little wealth spent on personal indulgence really helps you, I think they would use it better. But how you can get people to do it because they, I'd be people look up to me and admire me, or I had a better car, or you know, this thing of if I had designer clothes, or, or you know, for women, flashy jewelry and those kind of things. It's it's um, it, it's just they think it brings happiness, but it doesn't. It's an illusion. You're just chasing after the next indulgence and the next, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So you're saying about you love reading books and um, as an entrepreneur, what books are you recommended? So it's if, if an interview is starting up a business. So what, okay. what book do you recommend to them? The, the best book I can recommend to read if you're an entrepreneur is Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, it sounds like a sort of a self-help manual, how to get rich, but it's nothing like that. Actually, it's about basic principles such as the, the character, having a, having a good, consistent character and, and, and pursuing win-win solutions and stuff. And it works just as well for family relationships and friendships as it does for business. It's a guide to the right way of thinking about life. I actually, I've never read it for years because I always thought it was like some, you know, held it. But my, my daughter, my daughters, who's that's qualified as a doctor, actually said, Jim, you should, Dad, you should read this because it's, it's what you always talk about. And so I did. I picked it up and I've got, I'm just about to listen to it the second time, actually. It's a, it's a great book. And, and I, I'd say that's the number one thing I would do. Now, <clears throat> apart from that, there's many good books around about business. I was very influenced by um, Lowe's book, Behind the Arches, which is about McDonald's. And that, that was when I was first franchising or looking at somewhere back in those days. And, and that example of how he did it. You know, Ray Kroc actually, um, his, some of his franchises were millionaires and he was still earning his entire business out of his Mixmaster business. He used to sell Mixmasters. Um, and then how he actually produced it in the degree of passion that he had. That's a great example. Many other books too. Um, I read one recently, um, Ashley Vance about um, Elon Musk. That was very interesting. That's a different level of business, but talking about how he did it and the way he did it. I read anything I can about business, about um, show Shoe Dog, or there's so many books. I, I'll read anything I can about business owners, I'm all about uh, Uber and, and, and everything. Um, if anybody wants to look at what I've done um, on my website, www.gyms.net, there's a section that says meet Jim. If you go in there, you can actually download for free copy of my book, Every Customer a Fan, which talks about what I did and how I did it. And the, the, the total detail, and it's all there. There's even an audio version. In. Plus there's a massive different 
This podcast is brought to you by Ospad Syndicate, powered by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab. Kangaroo Fern is Australia's independent video and podcast management agency with a mission to help individuals and entrepreneurs to start their own podcast. Uh, there's probably far more about videos that I've done that you never want to see in your entire life, but it's it's all in there. So it's not hard to get good information, but I would say I would say books is a is a really really good. And you know, you read a book and you might only pick up one idea out of it. Most probably pick nothing, but it's it's all. <clears throat> you know, we're looking at we're looking at um, you know some of the things they do with these with these uh, like reading about um, what's the one I was reading about. Um, Instagram. I was just recently listening to an audio book about Instagram and it was talking about how they expanded the system to cope with the very rapidly growing number of, um, of users they were experiencing. And, and so when I was talking to my uh, software development head um, last week, I actually was relating to that experience. We're talking about this, this program of ours we're developing and what's going to happen to, to that if we expand and, and, and modular systems and using things like Amazon Web Services and stuff. So it was kind of relevant in a way, even though it was a different kind of business. So it's just helpful to know things. So I often pick up ideas from reading or listening. And, and audio books are a fantastic resource, I must say too, because um, reading time can be very limited. Like, like, for example, because I, I live a reasonably busy life. Um, I, I, I love news magazines. I'll be news scientist and economist. I, I, I read them every week. So and I read an occasional book, but most of it's, it's audio. And, and that's something you can do while you're driving. I've got little, the earpad pads, these things. So um, you've got to put into your ear and you can listen while you're driving. And if, you, and if you get a phone call, you just tap it and you take the call. So that's easy. So I drive my kids to school, I'm talking with my son on the way to school, and then on the way back, I, I put this on. Or if I'm working on, on my farm, I, I listen to audio books, or if I'm even having exercise, I'll listen to audio books, or, or just getting dressed after a shower. So there's all this time that you can be using for useful things, and it's just interesting. It's not like a, a task, I, I love it. So we're talking about audio, so you're listening to audio book as well, so while you are working. So That's right. can you tell well, us about very, very wonderful little device there. Okay. So we have to working and wrapping up this, uh, this is this podcast. So the last question I have is where are the best opportunity to entrepreneurs for, for entrepreneurs? So what, where are the best opportunity for entrepreneurs? Okay. So look for most people, I'd recommend the service industry. And I know even if I'm, if I'm, um, building myself competition, but it honestly is a very good area because it's very easy to start without experience, without capital. You can start anything as an entrepreneur. And often people start in the service industry and go, and like one of my first franchisees, a guy called Andrew McIntosh, actually um, became a franchisee, very successful. He was a franchisor. He started the fencing division, actually. Um, he's now gone into other things. He's, he owns several different nurseries and he's, a, he's a, like a building constructor. So the, the, the mining business gave him his capital, gave him his start, his experience. So I would say for anybody who's not in business, hasn't got a lot of money, then the, um, that's a very good place to be. Other, other places that people should look at is in terms of where there's fast moving technology. Now, an obvious place is in the IT space which is to do with, with so becoming a software development, a programmer of some kind. There's obviously opportunities there. And um, 
I think there's a lot of opportunities there to, to go really, really major businesses and be successful. That can be a job and so forth. The other area that I would suggest people look at, and this is a little bit more wild, but in terms of um, the epigenetics revolution, the genetics revolution, when you've got um, technologies like CRISPR, for example, uh, they're, they're, they're revolutionary. The things that's happened over the past year with the COVID, the way they've developed these um, these vaccines is astonishing. It's totally unprecedented and never happened before. Like, like they had the, the they had this virus actually figured out within weeks of what it was. And then within weeks after that, that actually started to develop um, vaccines to do with it. That is totally beyond anything that's ever been done in the past. Um, there's the potential to do things like, um, I believe actually not so much genetics too, you potential for genetic change, but also changes to epigenetics, which is turning on or off the activity of certain genes. I think that's going to be a massive area. And this is actually not that complicated. People think you need like a PhD in genetics. You don't. You can learn these techniques in a few weeks. It's, it's actually, and a lot of people are called hack, like biohackers. They're actually doing this stuff. So I would say anybody, those probably the three areas. Services is the easiest because it's obvious to get into, but IT, software development of various kinds and um, bioengineering, because the opportunities are best for a small guy when the, when the market is changing very, very fast. And that's why, for example, you look at um, media, for example, look at the great names of the past, like Fairfax, for example, that was a huge company. It had the age, Sydney Morning Herald. It's now a shadow of itself. Who are the big players now? Companies didn't even exist in those days. You know, people like who've taken advantage of this thing, like like um, carsales.com.au or realestate.com.au. These are all demand, uh, seek. All these businesses started almost from nothing and they've actually crushed the, the existing operators. So whenever there's a change in the world going place, and the same thing with Apple and Google and Facebook and Instagram and all those ones, uh, Uber and the rest, they're all, they're all looking at technological changes and seeing what can be done. And even though Jim sounds like an old fashioned business, that's true. In fact, um, people don't realize the great majority of my employees are not actually involved in things like um, customer service. They're actually software engineers. Most of my, most of my salary goes in developing of software to improve what we do. So we're looking at the opportunities there and they are extraordinary. It's, look, I tell you something, it is an amazing world right now. Things have changed so much, so fast that it's the possibility that the billionaires of tomorrow are sitting now thinking about their business plans right now. And there are so many areas. I tell you what, if I was 20, 20 again, I could think of so many different areas. I probably wouldn't try and compete with gyms as a franchise, to start a franchise directly because it's we're pretty good at what we do. But there are so many areas that, that you could be so successful at. And you want to get in at the beginning of the trend. Not You don't want to try and take on McDonald's. They're, they're too good at what they do. But look at look at somewhere where people haven't seen the opportunities and then go there. Thank you so much, Jim. So if anyone wants to contact you and ask some few questions or ask some questions about your company, how can they contact you? Well, I mean, just go into the website, you'll see contact details in there. But if anybody wants my email address, it's jim at jims.net. As you as you've seen yourself. I'm very easy to contact and, and I'm very quick to return emails. And it's, it's, 
often it's useful. Most people contact me and I, I, I can't hook them or whatever, but sometimes they, I get really useful things. That's why, yeah. So just, just give me an email and, and say what you've got in mind and I'm happy to give you some advice. I, I probably won't um, ring you up and have a long chat with you unless there's some really good reason for it, but uh, I'll certainly respond by email. Thank you so much. So, so if anyone wants to have a chat with James, I'll put all the details on the show notes of this podcast. And thank you so much, Jim, for your time. And see you next week. For uh, Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment and review. And see you next week for another episode of Bootstrap Podcast under Ospod Syndicate. And also want to have, thank you to my sponsor, the Kangaroo Firm Podcast Management to, for this. And also for the web, ho web host, myios.com. Thank you so much. And see you next week for another episode of Bootstrap Podcast under Ospod Syndicate. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. All right. No worries. I'll see you later. Hope it works well for you. Thank you for listening. Make sure to visit our website at www.ospodsyndicate.com.au where you can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. You can also join the conversation with Ospod Syndicate on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please consider on making a donation to help us keep making the podcast you love. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. independent podcast network we are guerrilla podcast syndicate would you like to hear your brand while supporting quality podcasts contact us now at advertise at guerrilla podcast syndicate.com